0: This is episode 258 with Professor of Kinesiology and Certified Mental Performance Consultant, Kim Dawson. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode is all about managing emotions like stress, pre-race anxiety and nervousness, so you can transform them into ambition for a great run. Joining me is a professor of kinesiology, Kim Dawson, from Wilfrid Laurier University. Now, if you're new to the Strength Running Podcast, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement— when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, strength workouts, smarter training tips, even fueling ideas. Go to youtube.com strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that gets published. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where this whole project began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve their performances with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on topics like strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can learn more about those at strengthrunning.com coaching. We are supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1, one of the few supplements that I think are worth your time. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available with 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Jason. You can choose from a single purchase or a monthly drop to make this part of your regular nutrition plan. I try to have one every day and it helps me cover my bases for a nice boost of midday energy as well. You can see all those details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a new performance sleep drink to help high performers get the most out of their nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is a melatonin-free sleep drink mix, which means you probably won't feel as drowsy. It provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. I love it because there's only two ingredients. There's no fillers. It's very simple. Learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason, and be sure to use code Jason20 to save 20% on your first subscription order. I'd also like to thank Alcat33 for the review on Apple Music. They wrote, regarding episode 256, so grateful for this particular episode at a time when I was suffering from COVID and wondering how I was going to get back on track with my training for an upcoming race. Thank you for the many wise and seasoned guests invited to share their knowledge on the show. Well, thank you for the review and best of luck with your COVID recovery. I'm so glad that the podcast is helping. All right, joining me today is Kim Dawson. Kim received a master's in exercise science and a doctorate in psychomotor behavior. She is a professor of kinesiology and physical education at Wilfrid Laurier University, a member of the Canadian Sports Psychology Association, and a mental skills provider with the Canadian Sport Institute. Our conversation today focuses on strategies for coping with stress, differentiating between normal nervousness and true anxiety, mental warm-ups the term psychological stretching, and more. And as a quick note, if you're someone who might benefit from improving your mental skills, we have developed a free quick start guide that you can get at strengthrunning.com brain. I want you to train your brain just like your heart, your legs, and your lungs. I want you to build the skills of anxiety management, focus, mental toughness, regulating your intensity and confidence as an athlete. That starts with actually knowing what to improve and when sign up for your first lesson at strengthrunning.com slash brain. And now I give you Professor Kim Dawson. Hi, Kim. Thank you for speaking with me today and sharing all your expertise. I'm looking forward to this. Me as well. So in preparing for this conversation today, I read a lot of your work and research interests and I could take this in in quite a few different directions, but I I wanted to maybe start with an objection that I hear very consistently from runners about sports psychology, and they tell me that working with a sports psychologist is only for professional runners. How do you respond to that?
1: I respond to that in a couple of ways. First of all, I think why it that perpetuates the myth that it's easy for elites, right? When we look at elite runners, we make they make it look so easy to us. And the reason that it looks so easy to us is because they've actually done the work and they've done it psychologically, emotionally, physically, and all those different details that have to pay attention. The other thing I respond to that is the fact that the elites have the exact same problems as you and me or recreational runners just because they become and they're very skilled fast runners. doesn't mean that they have the capability to manage their emotions, to deal with confidence issues, and even planning and regulating their own behavior. They have families, they have financial burdens, they have time burdens, they have challenges, and it's all about mobilizing the resources that you have to be successful at whatever area you're running. And elites will say that themselves, is that they needed this early in their career, they needed it mid-career, and they need it when they're at the highest peak or apex of their career as well. It's something that you you begin early, you perpetuate, and you continue to learn in that area about honing the skills that are necessary for you whatever level you are running. And many times I'll say, actually, that when you do become a professional athlete or a professional runner, the mirror actually holds up where maybe some of those deficiencies might have been earlier on in the career that if we could have addressed them, they wouldn't be big issues now. But certainly, everyone can benefit from it. It's a support in terms of just managing and making sure you're getting the most out of an activity that you're investing so much time and effort into.
0: I deal with this with runners who think that only pros are the people who should be getting running coaches. And mm-hmm. I think this has changed in, in recent years, you know, particularly with the advent of online coaching, which has made coaching in one form really accessible to a lot of runners. And, you know, when I think about this topic myself, uh, I have the same thought. I think, you know, if you're to learn anything new, usually you get instruction right at the very beginning because mm-hmm. you're a beginner and you need mm-hmm. to learn some of the fundamentals first. And so right. for me, you know, I look at this thing, uh, this topic as, you know, is a sports psychologist only for pro runners? Well, no, just like a running coach is not for pro runners. You know, they, you need that guidance from the very beginning to establish the right habits and, and mindsets that are going to carry you to success later.
1: And even I find in terms of value, in terms of who I work with, I do work with a lot of professionals or elites at the top of that apex, but I certainly enjoy watching the recreational runner getting value out of their running experience too and helping them pursue what their ambitions are as well.
0: Because a lot of the progress that one experiences in kind of your trajectory as an athlete Many of that, much of that progress occurs at the beginning when, you know, you're just starting out and it's very exciting either as a running coach or I'm sure as a, as a sports psychologist to see those leaps forward in progress that beginners or intermediate runners can experience.
1: Absolutely. And when I think about what my goal is, I always want lifelong physical activity for individuals. So there's where I really need to impact and be with those recreational runners because I want them to choose to run such as, you know, similar to yourself. I ran in high school, I ran in college, I run post-collegiate. So that's a success to me is that we want to make sure that you get the value and you get a definition of success that is enough that will make you make those choices. And so when recreational runners do start and they start 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 with incorrect nutritional programs or strength training or lack of periodization you decrease the probability of that happening and the same thing psychologically is that if I work with a recreational runner and they are completely time-based from the very beginning when that's really a low probability goal in terms of defining success I'm not going to get them to be able to stay and have that opportunity for being a lifelong runner so it's very important to work with the recreational runner in terms of motivation issues in terms of uh, goal setting in terms of action plans, in terms of dealing with emotions. Because if we have too many negative experiences up front, we're not going to perpetuate that journey.
0: I love that. Now, let's talk about a piece of your answer there. You were talking about dealing with emotional difficulties. Have <laughs> you discovered in your work that there's any difference in how an in, in elite runner or a recreational runner will either process or respond to stress?
1: No, not in any sort of way in terms of an emotional reaction. Experience is one thing that will decrease um, the immediate reaction. But again, you have to remember, as people are moving up that elite chain, they're having novel experiences too. So the first time they qualify for an Olympics is a very similar experience to the first time someone registers themselves for a 5K or the first time they went out for the cross-country team in high school. So that's where the issue surrounds itself is, is this a novel experience? even on the trajectory of skill set that you have. And so what I'm working with is trying to develop coping skills based on this novel event that comes into their lives and how can we make sure that we have the resources in place to be successful at making this as something that maybe can get habitual so that we can qualify for the Olympics, so we can move on and we can move through to the next goal, whatever that may be.
0: Yeah, you just said make it habitual. Let's explore that a little bit because I think that is is one of the the differentiators between not necessarily a professional runner, but just a more experienced runner versus someone who's just starting out. How do we build up a good mental fitness habit? You know, I'll use this term mental fitness um, to, you know, deal with the many emotional uncertainties that surround running. What, what are some of those habits and, and how do we make them habitual?
1: Well, one of the biggest things is the way that you structure your responses to things that happen. So we talk an awful lot about control the controllable. So Eric Gillis is one of the athletes that I've worked with for, he was the first athlete, the first runner that came to me and certainly, um, I think it was 2008 and he'll say that the number one thing that we he's learned is working together is this control the controllable and the distinction for him and for many athletes is understanding what are things that are externally caused but personally controllable right so external causes I can't cause I can't control the weather but I can control my reaction to the weather so I'm constantly getting them to differentiate those things because runners are I find that they've sort of fall in one of two categories one one, they either take too much personal control for something, which was, um, I lost this race and it was all because of what I did. And then when we unpack that and we look at the experience of, now why would that outcome not have been as desirable as you wanted? So let's not use the word lose. Let's not use the word failure. Let's just talk about expectations. And so restructuring that in terms of, well, how was your nutrition the night before? What was your training looking like? Did you have an injury? And then the athlete that can unpack that and realize that perhaps I was taking too much responsibility and I was having an emotional response for something that really wasn't an accurate expectation or evaluation of what happened, that can take me into a place. And that's not a good coping response, right? From that, then we think, do I want to do this again? And then conversely, I find athletes give away too much of their personal control as well, where uh, we do a lot of generic coaching. So even if we do have a coaching program that's set up for individuals, we have to think about is this where I'm at today does it work with my work schedule does it work with my needs does it work with the other things that are going on so I need to control that at a progression that works for me so that we can see the coaching as a guideline but I have personal responsibility for that so that's where I'm always working with these athletes is that always take a step back And, you know, the analogy that I make is that when you start a race, if you went with what the adrenaline was telling you to do, what your brain and your body was telling you to do, it's a false friend. You are going to implode in any race that you go in. You have to counter that with this plausible explanation and understanding of what is best for me here. And that's what a coping response is. And that's habitual. So let's have our reaction. I I honor those things. Reactions tell us a lot. If we're disappointed or if we're unsatisfied with something, that means something to me because it says you think that you can do better, but now let's let's articulate and let's come up with a really productive response about how to manage that because every reaction is legitimate, but we can't stay in certain ones of those. So if we're fearful or if we're anxious, those are non-productive emotions. So we use them at the beginning of a behavioral change to find out why we would feel what we feel, but we have to be strong enough to manipulate that cognitively to get to a different place.
0: Yeah, there's wow, there's so much to talk about there. Um, you know, I, I look back at my own running career. And, you know, I, I think one of the most valuable lessons I learned through experience, uh, but in hindsight, I wish I could have learned formally, even earlier in my running career, is exactly that how to let go of the things that I can't control, and only focus on what I can control. And, you know, I think back to some of my college racing days, and, and even post collegiately, where, uh, you know, there was a problem with, public transportation getting to the start of a race or the weather was really poor. And, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm still kind of joking around on the starting line with my friends or with my wife Mm -hmm. who came to me to a race. And for me, you know, that that was just something that I built through experience and and a lot of trial and error. Uh, Believe me, a lot of error. (laughs) Um, Is there a way to, to learn this skill earlier and kind of ingrain it even more formally? Is it, is it just through experience or can we take a more active role?
1: Well, one of the first things I do if I'm hired by any organization or any athlete is I really like to introduce them to this model of overall productive thinking, which is the very first step of this thing is like, let's figure this thing out. What are your strengths? Where are your challenges? And we all have them, right? So if, if we're more impulsive, what do those impulses do? Because they can lead us down. They can be great at certain times and we have to make quick decisions, but they can also lead us astray in terms of what our goals are. So really getting people to move through this model. So once we've Figure out like what is our go-to, and we all have different attentional styles. We all have different ambitions and motivations that are genetically kind of coded in. And then we have to ask whether they are actually helpful for what it is that our our endpoint goal is. From that, then let's go to the control, the controllable. Let's let's unpack and figure out what it is that we can control and what we need to do. And then the third step is, you know, there's just things that you and I have to deal with. And even as you're telling me your story, that's not innately bad or good. You told me that you enjoyed being with your and your, and your wife before the race started. Well, I would do an evaluation of that and say some people like that distraction right up to the front point, which is absolutely okay if you've done the mental work sometime before then, right? So, but again, figuring out, do you need to do the mental work right before the gun goes off or where do you do your mental work to get yourself there? So what do we have to deal with? It is bad weather. Life is not fair. Sometimes we get selected for things. Sometimes we don't. We can have our absolute best personal time, but the person beside us could run fast that day. I just got to deal with that. And then what is my action plan to make this thing happen? Because I have to change something. I absolutely either have to change the way I feel about something, the way I think about something, or what I do. And the more we can change, the higher the thing that we can do these three things, the greater the probability that we're going to have success in the future. But we can't just sit on what we've done previously if we really want to have growth.
0: Well, I really appreciate you talking about how it's it's a different experience for for each runner and that we're all unique and how me being someone who likes to joke around before a race you know that is is almost a way that i distract myself from the anxiety of racing the stress of of what i am about to do but then again you know that's what works for me i've been doing that for for decades and for me to all of a sudden be 10 minutes before a race and I've got my headphones in and my hood on and I'm just kind of in my own head getting amped up. That for me is very stressful. I I cannot think too much about the race right beforehand. I do all my thinking, you know, days and weeks beforehand. And then as soon as that gun goes off, I'm just laser focused on what I'm trying to do and on execution. But I I appreciate you talking about how that's not going to work for everyone. And it's really critical to find what works for you.
1: Absolutely. And that's where I'm always working when I do coaching development seminars is that many running coaches came from a history of running and they will utilize preparation strategies that worked for them without understanding that they've got a team of 16 runners that have very different preparation strategies. And then we tend to evaluate people because someone could look at you then, Jason, and say, oh, he's not very serious. Well, the truth is you're absolutely serious about your running and you've taken the time to figure out what your process is. So that's That's one of the things that I'm always working with in terms of evaluation of other people's process. Step into it, know your process, own your process, and it doesn't have to look like something similar to the person who's beside you. Right. Let, let's talk a
0: little bit more about this pre-race anxiety that I think anybody who's ever entered a race can identify with. Uh, I right. don't necessarily think that being nervous beforehand is is necessarily a bad thing. I think it does become problematic when a normal amount of nerves or stress transforms into a type of fear-based anxiety. How can runners tread that that kind of very fine line and differentiate between the two and, and still, you know, get worked up for a race, because I think that's important. But at the same time, do, do doing so at an appropriate level.
1: Right. Okay, so you've talked about two different things, right? So nervousness and anxiety are two completely different things. Nervousness is more an activation and an energy, and you have an optimal level of that, and that's exactly right. As I say to my runners, I want you to live a life where you've got butterflies in your stomach and sweaty palms because that tells me you're doing something of value, and it tells you that you're doing something of value. How exciting. It's meaningful to you because there's going to be a time in your life 20 years from now where you're going to be complaining about the opposite Which is there's nothing that really gets me going at this point, right? So we want that. We want those challenges and those opportunities. But anxiety is a cognition, it's the way that you think and it is an evaluation where it says, I'm fearful. So When I work with athletes, there's no place for fear in a race, because if there is fear, what it's saying is, here's the challenge of this race, and I don't have the resources to manipulate that. So I'll go with you. If you first qualify for the Olympics or you signed up for a marathon, when you sign that paper and you submit to the New York Marathon, you should be fear-based because you've got a lot of unknowns. And the unknown is always frightening. It's always scary. But just like, you know, your fitness at that point, if someone said to you, okay, you got to go run that 42K right now, you wouldn't be capable of doing it. You wouldn't mentally be able to do it. But you've given yourself six months to move the needle on both your fitness and both your cognitive evaluation. So as you move through, then We see our resources go up and the challenge goes down. So there's where that fear-based evaluation disappears. So by the time you get to a race, there shouldn't even be the word in your vocabulary about fear. You can see that this is a healthy opportunity. We evaluate the risk in it. We understand the challenge of it. But really, what is there to be fearful of? If you've done the work, you've already got the resources in place, and then you've got to commit to, this is where we have the distinction between the training. that's where you deal with those emotions the competition is let's just lay down the race plan let's get this thing done so those are the conversations that i have with my athletes is absolutely i want you to be nervous calm mind activated body that's the rule you can't come in flat to this race absolutely you should have flutters in your, your tummy your Should be breathing a little bit heavier. All of those things get the adrenaline going, which you're going to need to have a really great performance today. But we don't have the place because it's just a distraction to be thinking about something that would be fearful. So I will talk to them like, what is the fear that we have? Is it fear of failure? Well, what would failure be to you? You signed up for this first marathon. Is failure to you having to walk? Is failure for you, you know, a a discontinued? Is it not to have a certain time? Let's put a plan in place that makes sure that those things don't happen. But I always talk in terms of a continuum of, you know, on race day. Here's Plan A. That's where everything's going your way, and you're going to just move through this thing like you managed. Plan B is we got to be flexible. Oh, here's somebody came out of left field that I wasn't really counting on. Oh, I've got a little bit of a cramp in my side right now. My quadriceps a little bit tight. I manage it, and then even Plan C, which is I I love. With Rick Colset, is an athlete I worked with for years, and he called that the stop the bleeding race where you're in a race now and you just want to come across that finish line with some semblance of pride and respect in yourself, right? But it's going to be a hard day at the office. So if we break the things down into that, what's there to be fearful of? You know, there are sports that I work with. I work with uh, people that are free climbers and, and rock climbers. Absolutely. You're going to come to your event with some degree of fear because there's a healthy risk associated with that. The gymnasts I work with, but runners where is the fear, right? Where is the fear? Nothing is going to av- not going to hurt us physically. We are just capable. If we've done that work to be able to manage what the task is of the day, there will be varying outcomes, but how do we interpret those outcomes and those possibilities before the race even begins?
0: You know, listening to, to you talk about this topic, uh, it just reminds me of so many different coaching truisms like trust your training and, um, Another really great one is uh, oh, I'm blanking on the last one, but, you know, trust your training, I think, is is one of the the really important ones. Um, and the second one, now that I'm remembering, is racing is just a logical extension of training. And Absolutely. it seems like a lot of the. Uh, the confidence not to become too fearful before a race stems from the work that you do beforehand. You know, for example, you know, if, if you have to take an exam and you've studied your butt off and you know the material front and back, you shouldn't be afraid going into taking that exam. And, you know, a race is exactly the same thing. If you have done the training and the work, then you should be a little nervous because the race is probably going to be uncomfortable at a certain level. But, at the same time, it is well within your abilities because you have trained to make yourself capable
1: and and one you know some of the times when i 'm talking to Olympic athletes and they 'll go to that place we 've done a lot of work so i 'll work with them here and then they 're in a nice stable place, and off they go to do their races internationally and they 'll call back and Sometimes I just have to give them the perspective, which is we play the what if game what if what if what if and you know at the end of the day, quite often i 'll say to them. Is the sun going to come up tomorrow? And they'll say yes. And I say, are you going to be loved? And will someone love you? And do you have people to love? And they'll say yes. And then I do the old Kramer. Do you have two pairs of pants? Yes, I do. You're going to be okay. Like at the end of the day, you're going to be okay. So it is about keeping our perspective about this is an opportunity to have a fit body and to be able to run like that. It's one of the most joyous things in the world. So I don't expect that you're going to be there early on in the process, but I do expect by the time it comes from transference from training to performance, which is your competition, you will be thinking of it that way. And and if you're not quite there yet, then we need the warm up before the race to do that. Like I say just you, you're not ready. Ready to go physically when you come out of the car so you use your warm-up to get yourself in a place where your muscles are are, are um, mobile and capable of running so let's move psychologically then so I struggle with athletes that will just stay so stagnant and I'm scared I'm scared I'm scared when they have to start to accept the fact that things are frightening. The more unknown they are when things begin, but even as we do a race, particularly like a middle distance or a marathon, those emotions should change. As you get more information about, hey, I'm okay, I'm halfway through this race, then that should dissipate itself. So know that it is going to be a little bit uncomfortable to start, but we're going to work through that as we get more information on the table in terms of where we are.
0: Thank you for differentiating between normal stress and nerves and what is more anxiety or Mm -hmm. decision making or or thinking out of fear Uh, Mm -hmm. if a runner has done the work they're prepared to run a race they've done the training But they do find themselves, you know, maybe that morning or on the starting line during their warm up, starting to feel, you know, that kind of, you know, heavy anxiety. Do you have any favorite strategies that runners can utilize at that very moment when they need it to kind of get past that and to put themselves in a better mental position?
1: Right. So we do a lot of what I've referred to as mental gymnastics then, right? So there's lots of things that we can do. There's two different types of way you can intervene psychologically. One is when you have time in the training to actually manipulate these types of coping devices and these coping mechanisms. But at the race, I always encourage someone to have a really good keyword that can take them to a different place, a safe spot. Everyone's got a safe spot in their their life, right? It can be a person, it can be a place, it can be a thing. So then you want to say that word and you want to focus in on that. You might even want to visualize it for a quick 10 seconds in terms of what that feels like. Another thing I say is physiologically, we carry all of our anxiety in our face. So generally I can tell an athlete when I'm looking at them at the starting line, if their shoulders are up around their ears, they are feeling anxious. If their shoulders are down and they're breathing with nice deep breaths, they are calm mentally and their body's ready to go. So drop your shoulders is another one. You want to also manufacture real tension in your mind. So tighten up your wrists and your fists as tight as you possibly can. And then just let them go. Shake those arms. Shake it all out. And as you think about shaking out your arms, you think about the anxiety falling down to the ground as well. So lots of different little things that we do particularly. I have people focus on a tree, for example, in terms of getting themselves to where they need to go or something that might be in the the environment. But it is about finding your cue that can say, hey, I'm a little bit high up here in this aspect of it. And and using words like opportunity and challenge, reminding yourself, why did I do this today? What do I want to get out of this today? And how can I get myself to a place that I will engage with this and I will really enjoy it?
0: I think having that keyword is really beneficial and helpful for mm-hmm. runners. It's something that they can, you know, think about before the race so that, you know, when that anxiety does hit, they have a real tangible thing that they can wrap their head around to put them mm-hmm. in a better spot. But I'm also hearing you kind of talk about, you know, the physical side of things, your, your breathing, uh, stress that you might be carrying in your body, whether that's in your shoulders or elsewhere. Um, and, and this just reminds me that, you know, often your mental state flows from your physical state and how you're carrying your body is just as important to kind of your mental capabilities right there on race day. Can you talk a little bit more about this?
1: well you, the the mind body link is absolutely undeniable so when you do have too much tension and that's what I'll refer to it is because you really do need to have relaxed muscles and i always say where how relaxed do you want to get watch the swimmers <laughs> that's a relaxed muscle when they're standing on the on the blocks and you see them shake out that's impressive and they know what they need to do so what we want to do is we want to we want to get to that point so we can either do our muscles first which is what i the point that i said before which is a good stretch Um, which is tensing your, your, your quadriceps, releasing them, tensing your fists, releasing them. So breathing, anything that we do with our body first of all and then when we do that deep breath we also have to bring our thoughts in line with it which is okay deep breath out with all of that fear, in with all of that oxygen, out with the fear, in with all of that strength. Okay so that's using your mind or your sorry your body to control your mind or we can go another way, which is I'm going to take my, play, my mind to a different spot. So visualization is a huge thing. And so I say visualize what it is and where it is that you want to go. Think about those last 5K. Think about the 5K that you ran around your house or in a canal or in a park or a place that was so comfortable to you that you really enjoyed that aspect of it. And then we'll use that visualization. We'll use our words. We'll talk about the opportunity, the challenge. Remind yourself of what you did to get here. Talk to yourself about being worthy. I love, you know, Mark Tewksbury was one great Canadian swimmer and he looked around his uh, his ready room, it's before swimming, and he said, why not me? You know, somebody has to win this race today. Why not me? And those are the sort of things that allow your mind to be free and so that that then will relax your body. But we have to go both ways. And Quite often I'll say, when your feet move, your mind does too. So that means that your mind can't stay stagnant. Everyone thinks that a lack of confidence is just a static thing. No, it's dynamic too. It builds as a race builds. As you move and you get momentum, those emotions, those thoughts, they build too.
0: Yeah, this reminds me of of so many races that I've run where, you know, going into it, I was, you know, just didn't think too highly of my chances at running really well but my God, 75% of the way in the race, when I'm having the race in my life, it gives yeah. you such a shot of confidence to go for Absolutely. it and to endure some of that discomforts because you've just set yourself up for success uh, kind of later into the race. Uh, now, now, Kim, we've. You know, I, I kind of asked you about mitigating anxiety and, and fear. And some of those strategies, uh, I think, are really powerful and, and probably could be implemented even if you don't feel overly anxious before a race. But I'm curious, are there significant differences between mitigating anxiety and fear before a race and then using normal amounts of pre-race jitters or nerves productively? Is, is there a different approach to those two different things?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I one of the things that we do tend to have a genetic predisposition to right from the get-go is that there are individuals that in this world try to achieve success, right? So if you're trying to achieve success, you naturally won't have the anxiety as much, right? So you're looking at what is success for you today? You're the type of individual that says, yes, I am going to run as I'm capable of today and let the chips fall where they may. There are other individuals that circulate this world that not necessarily just in running but in everything else which are trying to avoid failure. And those individuals will have a greater amount of environmental anxiety in a number of different areas. Even if it's not running, these individuals will be in any achievement-oriented situation will find that very fear Based because their definition of self and their self esteem is the fact that if what happens here today is going to define what it is and who I am, so you really have to work with that type of athlete and understand you. perhaps this is more of a personality disposition that just seems to show itself on the race line because that's really your your most prominent achievement orientation so let's work on that like let's really redefine our whole sense of identity in terms of who we are our sense of self and and understand that maybe my definition of what success is is too small and my definition of failure is too big and let's think of that on a continuum and I always I always look at can we shrink that failure aspect of it and can we increase that success part of it because for some runners, and this is what elite runners do realize, is that every race has a different purpose. So we're either going to run for time, we're going to run for qualification, we're going to have a good old-fashioned foot race for place. Sometimes these runners are just trying to see how far they can go at a new pace and they know they're going to implode. So if you looked at them, they'd say, oh, you know, this racer had a very poor time in this race. But it's very much a successful race based on what we were trying to accomplish in terms of pushing what that boundary was. So that's how I talk to those individuals that have more of this fear based aspect. Is that my biggest wish for people is to maximize? The enjoyment and the success, I don't want them to leave this running journey and have any regrets. So let's make sure that we're honoring ourselves and the work and the time that we've put into it and start thinking about this as opportunity and challenge and value, and that really the success is being on the line. And for some people, that's what it is. The success was in signing up for that race. It has very little to do with what's going to happen in that race that day. So really having individuals understand what was their biggest challenge and when did they exercise that resource to overcome it, and then acknowledging that. And I I do think that we get into these really tight, tight emotional patterns that we take on uh, different dispositions based on what people have told us, and we have to see our own growth when it happens. And I I want people to step into that and say, maybe I was an anxiety-prone athlete when I was in high school, but I've been at this so long now. I faced every inevitability, and I've overcome it, and I'm okay, and you can handle this.
0: You know, I think you've just given me and a eureka moment here <laughs> List, listening to you talk about how elite runners have different goals for different races and how you know it's not always about just running a good time or winning just reminds me of another benefit that i think i i experienced inadvertently and and now i'm just realizing in hindsight which is this exact thing in high school and college where, you know, some races were really important and there was a lot of pressure in some races, you know, we were just out there literally having a good time. And, and our coach told us, you know, I want you to run slow for the first two miles and then pick it up to your normal race pace. Hey. Or, you know, I, I don't, I want you to run this entire race as a tempo workout rather than, you know, as a, as a, as a hard 100% effort race and doing that over the course of you know many years, really allowed me to not put so much pressure on myself for every single race. I understood now that different races have different purposes. And you, know, you can use them to your advantage and not get too involved with the outcome of any one specific race.
1: And then as I point out to people is when they are outcome focused, I always say to them, we're on the same page here. Because the only way to get to your outcome is to go through my process. Right? So let's put more emphasis on my process, and then we'll get what you want as well. And and that's a big part of it. And And figuring out, again, we go back to this, figure it out. If you want those seconds in your race or those minutes in your race, is it the start of the race is it the middle of the race is it the end of the race and then some races we just have to work on that start and let whatever happens in the rest of the race fulfill itself because you fulfilled what that agenda was today so again it gets back to that individualization of what these races mean to you not every race can be about a personal best it just cannot and for individuals that have that very narrow latitude it's not going to be the experience of running that i want for them over the course of their lifetime
0: right and you know i've i've since transitioned from being more competitive runner to to now running coach and now that I'm working more with athletes on, on these very issues, one of the things that I try to do almost every single race that we have is have tiers of goals so that runners can focus a little bit more on their own progress rather than on the simple outcome of the race. Right. So even if they don't hit that time goal, it might have been an improvement over the race before. Or you know we might be racing faster at the same point in the season than we were you know six months prior. And so it is a step forward forward but it's not necessarily the outcome that they wanted and I think you know part of my job as a coach is to always be communicating how many steps forward we're taking so that runners have a better idea of the progress that they've made so you know in my mind it is just kind of one of the ways that I'm you know persuading my runners to think more in terms of process and progress in terms uh, rather than just outcome.
1: And that's right. And I I refer to that as growth mindset, because it's exactly you have to build, you have to build bottom up versus top-down, right? So it's the steps to move up to that outcome versus throwing out, I want this, and then I have to say to somebody, but what have you done today that would really represent that you're on your way to that? So let's start at the bottom and build and build towards it. And I, I have no problem. Like As I say to athletes when they first come in to see me, is one of the first questions I ask them is emotionally, can you manage the highs and lows that come in with running? It's one of the most difficult sports that I work with. There's no team to hide behind. There's no equipment to hide behind there's nothing it's just you and you're out there and you're going to have incredibly high joy in this field and you're going to have some incredibly wicked lows but this is what i know about you is that you're going to be able to manage all those emotions and sometimes that's what elite athletes will say i'm not worried about the race i'm worried about my emotional response to it afterwards and so giving them the opportunity to have a range of emotions and then figuring out what those emotions mean and again sometimes they'll say i'm so disappointed I'm so frustrated and I'll say absolutely every high performance athlete that I work with is slightly pissed off all the time that's what gets you out the door that's what gets (laughs) you training right the belief that you can do a little bit better but when that pervades everything into some real negativity that's when we have a problem but yeah at the top and at the tip of your feelings absolutely right and even some of the real fast uh, marathoners that I run with But as they'll say to me, everyone thinks, oh, they want to get out the door and they want to run 200 kilometer weeks and they want to run those three minute kilometers. And and I'll say nobody wants to run that, but they have found techniques to get themselves out the door to be able to do that and the belief that tomorrow is always going to be a better day for them. And that's great. That's optimism with a little bit of dissatisfaction. It's a perfect mix.
0: I like that. That's I think that's a quotable piece right there. <laughs> now, I do want to talk a little bit about outcomes. And we've been talking a lot about um, you know, being process oriented and uh-huh. and appreciating your progress, but you know, for a lot of runners, you know, they want to run a certain time or they want to qualify for Boston. And I think to get the most out of ourselves physically and run that big personal best, we often have to peak not just physically, but also mentally and emotionally for this kind of a big race and, uh-huh. and and I wonder how can runners get into that right state of mind from from both an intellectual and an emotional perspective so that they can go on a race at their best.
1: Uh- Again, the work is all done up front. So identifying what is the purpose of this race. So if you're telling me that this is a qualifier for Boston, then what that means is is that I have to stay focused on time. I'm running with my watch today. It doesn't matter about how I feel. So I have to now start thinking about if pain comes in too early or anything else like that, I have to make sure that I'm able to get that out because I'm going to be like the human metronome and I'm going to run on my clock. So I'm not going to worry about what's going on around me figuring out what the purpose of the run is and staying focused on what that means. And so outcome is legitimate. If I have to hit this certain time, then how am I going to do that? Am I going to do a negative split? Am I going to do a positive split? And that's where the race plan comes in place. So quite often, you know, if I've got someone that's going out to a major marathon or the Olympics, we do a complete race plan from what's the purpose of the first 5k? What is it that I'm trying to fulfill? Okay, the bottom line after 5k, I just want to feel comfortable in this race. I wanted to stay on my pace. I wanted to to manage my breathing, I wanted to get my nerves in check. Okay, so after we do that 5k we check it off and we're done then what's the next part tell me about the hills in the race tell me about the loops tell me about where we are where can we gain where can we lose where are some of the potential challenges where are your triggers what's going to happen with you so we have to have an action plan and a race plan in place for that outcome to happen because just to say you know i need to qualify and i need to hit 330 or whatever it is that's such a low probability of that actually being successful so it actually comes back down to what's the process and how are you going to get there and then once you manage that for your plan is like 5k 10k we get to emotionally and mentally check that off and that's a huge gain in a race in a long distance race like that and move on to the next thing so it is outcome focused but still again it always comes back to the how the how the how how are you going to get that outcome
0: yeah, and it seems to me like uh you know our training is kind of our physical homework for the race and this mm-hmm. kind of race preparation that you're talking about is you know the mental or intellectual homework that you have to do before a race knowing what your goals are knowing how you're going to accomplish that those goals throughout the course of the race and then just being really clear on you know very specifically what you're going to do and and it seems like you're a proponent of of chunking you know taking your your big long race breaking it down into manageable pieces and then having a really clear uh goal for each one of those pieces which i think makes it easier to to digest as a whole but then also it gives you a nice little uh mental boost throughout the race when you are able to check off those boxes and say okay first part mm-hmm. of the race i accomplished it this is great i'm on track to reach my goal
1: right and then and also it has a utilitarian Uh, point too because to stay on point for 42 kilometers or even a half marathon is very mentally fatiguing and you have to realize that mental fatigue can start to facilitate itself physiologically so if we can in a race where is a point where we can get some distraction because as you said even for yourself in your race preparation if you just dialed in way before a race you'd be exhausted by the time you got to the starting line well i would even encourage you on the longer distance races if there's a flat 5k that you can just sing in your head and move out and just let your watch govern you for 5K. And generally we do that before we have to do that final kick it Was where we're starting to get ourselves ready to get garner that energy to push into that pain element of it. So if I can find some place where I don't have to push into it for a little bit, then it helps me find that for when I really need it. And that's a, that's a big thing that I work with with runners is your relationship with pain and how you take in that stimulus and how you interpret it. And you know, there are some racers that will say – I'm frightened of the pain and we do a lot of cognitive restructuring which is you're going to be in a worse position if you don't feel that pain because I know you and if you finish a race and you're not in pain it means that you didn't push to what you're capable of and you'll be frustrated with yourself so we need that it's really important feedback to tell us about where we are and managing that pain and controlling that pain and being capable to bring it in and almost getting the point where some of the runners love when the pain comes in because it means that they're near the end and again recall set that when that pain comes in, I run faster because it means I can finish faster, right? So whatever, whatever mechanism and whatever way works for you.
0: Yeah, it just reminds me of so many races where, you know, I start to experience that race discomfort later in the race. And it's when I'm racing really well. And it just further fuels my confidence and competitive instincts, because I I know what I'm doing is working. This is what I should be feeling.
1: And interpreting it in that way is a really powerful cognition. And that is what develops over time, right? Because running is difficult. Running does cause us discomfort and the acceptance of that and understanding that that's an important part of where we need to be to get that outcome that we're all striving for.
0: If we could bottle that into uh, a little bit of a potion, Kim, I think <laughs> yeah. we'd would, would be quite well off because I think of all the races that I've run, I've probably, maybe only 5% of them, I was just so dialed in and just completely on point with you know my desire to run hard uh that man if, if that if we could just bring that up to 25 percent. i think every runner would be significantly faster
1: Absolutely, and that is the challenge isn't it like how many of us can stay for that long in that amount of discomfort and really it's the person that can at the end of the day that is going to be the most successful
0: all right, Kim. Uh, I want to finish up, but I have a couple quick questions for you. And uh, I want to talk a little bit more about two different things that uh, you've said in the past. I read a quote from you about some of your former teammates and you were describing them and you said their unquenchable de- <laughs> let me start over their unquenchable desire to keep learning and improving will lead to even bigger accomplishments and, and I'd love to unpack this a little bit why do you think learning is so valuable to improving and then my follow-up to that is what should runners be learning
1: I find that learners first or runners first of all are very open in terms of new physical plans in terms of new nutritional strategies I'm going to eat better I'm going to do things different I'm going to train smarter I'm going to train more efficiently we also have to think about that mentally and I have the greatest respect for the runners that sit with me and have a conversation and tell me about the way they think and I'm trying to get them to think better more productively about the way that they do things and so they're they're hungry to learn that too and they will ask you know is there a way this is how I was feeling at this race is there a way that I can interpret it differently those racers that find out and they want to learn about different cognitive strategies they want to learn about how to use visualization how to manage their breathing how to think about things in a more productive way those are the athletes that go on to these really really great things and I'm not talking about the Olympics I'm also t- talking about the 12 year old that's running their first track and field day um, they're the ones that are thinking yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna implement this I'm going to engage in this I've also had the opposite where I've had runners that have you know come to see me paid money and essentially want to sit down in front of me and tell me the way that it is and really want me to validate what they're doing and that's not the way that it's going to work if you're that stagnant in terms of way that you think. And again, not everyone, uh, you you can innately do things really, really well, but everything can be fine tweaked, right? So even if I was to have a conversation, I'm learning from you today, Jason, in terms of different things. You have to be open, you have to be accessible in terms of where is that my opportunity for growth? where does it come from for me is it physically is it in day planning is it emotionally is it mentally and I love that about these athletes is that they have this unquenchable thirst to listen and learn and they will follow podcasts and when there's expertise available and education available they're there and they're writing down notes and they're taking you know, any information that they can and applying it to them individually and the individuals that can do that and find learning in all avenues of their life regardless of where it is are the ones that are really going to push the boundaries of what they're capable of.
0: I think this lends itself very well to the, the next statement that you said that I want to discuss. And, and you were talking about how runners often get very good at repeating the things that they know very well. And you ask that they stretch a little bit psychologically. What exactly do you mean by stretching psychologically? Is this what you're talking about before where runners need to, you know, have a more growth mindset to think about? differently about their training or nutrition or mental coping skills
1: Mm -hmm. so i always say the athletes i want you to have as big as arsenal of tools that you possibly can to be able to be successful because some races are going to demand that you have high courage some are going to demand that you can run in the wind some are going to demand that you can run in the cold so let's increase what that that tool is And so I'll give you an example of this. So Eric Gillis is one of our top marathoners. And he has been, his consistency is unbelievable as a runner. So he's, he, he went into his third Olympics in 2016 in Rio, his second marathon. And he's a very conservative runner and that conservatism has served him well because that's been the basis of his consistency where other runners have come and gone and burnt out on the scene he's been able to manage that so his natural personality disposition even if you have a conversation with him and you tell him that you want him to try a new restaurant he'll have to engage and think about whether it's 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 something that's worthwhile for him or not before the 2016 olympics my push with him was, you've been to two Olympics, you've been satisfied by qualifying, you've been satisfying by participating, why not now? If we can do something different, let's start thinking about it. So his coach, Dave Scott Thomas, worked with him physically. And honestly, I worked with him for two years about thinking, let's take calculated risks, Eric. So you may generally start slower in a race and build yourself up, and that's been so fantastic because you've hit every qualifier that you've needed to. You've gotten all the teams or all the times that you want. But for this one, for this one, could we try something different? Could perhaps we go outside your comfort zone a little bit and start a little bit quicker? hone in on a different strategy, go for what you want to do. And that took two years for him to start thinking about yeah you know maybe I have to run this race a little bit differently maybe I have to go outside my comfort zone mentally a little bit and try it and on the day of the race it was interesting so I was watching the feed and I watched him at the start of the line and I thought you know he's dialed in he's got it message received he's going for this and I can usually tell with the runners that I work with when I look in their eyes they all have tells before they start to run the race and I I went to the gym and did my own workout because this is his journey not mine and uh, it was funny and people kept saying you know Eric's running oh I'm completely aware of what Eric is doing right now, he'll be totally fine, and came home just in time to watch him come in the top 10 finish in the Olympics in the marathon, which was a major accomplishment for him. And when you ask him how he did it, he will talk about how he had to stretch himself. It wasn't hard for him to stretch himself physically, because he was capable of doing that running. Where that growth had to come from was that he had to do it mentally and start thinking about maybe a different strategy that when in his younger years, he would have been too fearful to do. But now he had that base underneath him that he could think about it differently. So that's all I'm saying to people is that if you tend to be an emotional runner, maybe we can be a little bit more cognitively in control. And conversely, if we are too conservative, maybe we can take a little few more calculated risks. But let's challenge ourselves to think about things differently, to respond to things differently, to feel differently about things that might be in a more productive way that may actually increase the probability of us getting this outcome that we really want that's individually determined.
0: It seems like you're... you're. Being an advocate for uh, you know the value of experimentation in your running and doing things a little bit differently than you have in the past and you know this ties into what we were talking about at the very beginning which were you know the the idea of novel experiences and that's often the source of either stress or anxiety and you know it, even at the yeah. the professional runner level you know you have runners who are qualifying for the olympics for the first time running an olympics for the first time and those are all novel experiences and and i wonder is uh is experimentation as a runner both in terms of training styles, uh, different types of workouts, different types of races and race strategies. Are these all ways of building up our toolbox of mental fitness skills because we're continuously experiencing new things and novel race experiences?
1: Absolutely, and and that's exactly what I want, and I love transferability too. I have the beauty of working with lots of different athletes, and quite often I'll bring something that the boxers are doing into the runners and say, hey, my boxers are doing this, do you want to give that a try? And and that's essentially what it is, is that if you can control how you respond in a number of different environments, if you start to know what you've got under your hood, then regardless of what's thrown at you, you'll be confident that you can lay it down that day. And it really is an important, important aspect of it it. And, you know, one of the things that I always say when my, my runners are running their first marathon is, you know, I always equate it. And I don't know if I can say this, but it's to losing your virginity. It has the capacity to be really good. But at this first time, it's just not. But know that later on, it's going to be absolutely fantastic, right?
0: <laughs> that's a good analogy and <laughs> one you that say? you can definitely share here.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that's the that's the point of it. So let's understand what this first marathon is. I don't want it to be one and done. I want it to be the beginning beginning of something that gives you great value so for this first one let's just figure out does it work for you to run a spring marathon a fall marathon maybe in your life you can do one a year and based on your work schedule it has to be something else so really figuring out where the best scenario is for you the best races the best race distance and you know even the conversation that you and I had saying that you started with shorter distances and you've moved into longer distances when do you make that change why do you make that change where is that going to be fulfilled for you and encouraging athletes to really ask these questions, because the more deliberation and the more thought and the more planning and the more uh, details that you pay attention to up front, the more satisfaction and the higher probability of success that you will have when it's time to lay those things down in races or in anything else that you're trying to achieve or accomplish.
0: Well, I always like to say that better planning results in better race performances. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Kim, this has been really eye-opening for me and and I think also incredibly practical. I'm going to have to re-listen to this a couple times and and really take some some strong notes because I think there's just so many golden nuggets that runners can take from this and apply directly today to their training to make sure that they're getting as much out of their their training and their racing as possible. So thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and sharing your wisdom today.
1: Oh, you're welcome. I really enjoyed it. So thank you, Jason, for this great opportunity. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening in my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review and Apple music or wherever you happen to listen to your podcasts. And if you love this show, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. I literally would not be saying this if it weren't for them. So I am so grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition incredibly simple. I personally struggle with eating healthy. What can I say? I love simplicity and pizza and fries are very simple. So I'm finding their product AG1 really helpful, especially when I am training hard and I'm trying to cover all my bases and really make sure that I'm eating a nutrient-dense diet. One scoop of AG1 gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a green superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I don't eat perfectly. And it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And I love that I'm supporting my immune system so that I can stay consistent with this once-a-week podcast. (laughs) But what I really love about AG1 is that it changes. Over the last decade, they've made over 50 improvements to the formula based on the latest science. This research is helping make the nutrients in AG1 more absorbable and more rigorous when they undergo third-party testing. You can go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to see the great offer they've put together for our listeners. You'll get a whole year's worth of free vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. You can sign up for a single shipment or you can go big with a monthly subscription if you want to make sure AG1 is a regular part of your healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. We're also supported by Impossible Sleep, a new performance sleep drink to help high performers like you get the most out of your nightly rest. Impossible Sleep is a melatonin-free sleep drink mix that provides deep recovery while gently lulling you to sleep. You can learn more about it at impossible.co slash Jason and be sure to use code Jason20 and you'll save 20% off on your first subscription order. I love this product because it's very simple. It only has two ingredients with magnesium to promote muscle recovery and deep sleep and L-theanine for a subtle calming effect that helps you wind down at the end of the day. Now if you're like me, you don't have problems pushing your limits, but you may struggle to fall asleep at the end of the day. Sometimes I just kind of lay awake in my bed thinking about my to-do list, my training goals, or just stressing out about normal life anxieties. But high-achieving runners have to prioritize their sleep. Sleep is like a performance-enhancing drug. It allows you to absorb your training, to improve, and to race faster. Impossible sleep helps you optimize your bedtime routine so that you can get as much deep recovery as possible. And when you consider that studies have shown that sleep loss can lead to glucose imbalances, increased anxiety, and your risk of getting sick, it's a no-brainer to get as much high-quality sleep as you can. Now you can get 20% off your first subscription order at impossible.co slash Jason with code Jason20. That's 20% off your first subscription order at impossible.co slash Jason. And don't forget to use code Jason20 at checkout. All right, that's our show today, my friends. Thank you for being part of the strength running community, for sharing and reviewing the podcast, for subscribing, and of course, for your passion for the sport. Until next time.